And this morning, we are going to wrap up uh, the series I've been doing called First Questions, looking at the first three questions that were asked in the book of Genesis from um, Satan to man, from God to man, and from man to God. And so this morning, we're going to look at the first question that man ever asked to God. And I wanted to um, share something with you. So someone reached out to me uh, about something I said in my message last week, and it was a really solid question. And they, so last week I said that um, God gave Adam an opportunity to repent. And that if he would have repented, things would have been different. And the question was, how would they have been different? And so after a week of prayer and thoughtful consideration, I've come to the deep theological conviction of, I don't know. That's my stance. I'm going to stand on that firmly. I, I don't know. I don't know because the, the punishment would have still been there because sin entered the world. But I believe that there's power in our repentance. There's power in our confession that mends the relationship between us and God. And so I I can't tell you exactly what would have been different, but I believe something would have changed. Something would have been different. But again, my theological stance is firmly, I don't know. Which as I I become uh, more familiar with scripture and I I get a chance to preach it and I get a chance to study it, I come to that deep theological conclusion more often than not. I don't know. God's God. I am not. He lets me know what I need to know, and everything beyond that is, I don't know. And I'm becoming much more comfortable with that. I don't have to have all the answers because God does, and he'll show me what I need to know in the time. So this morning, I'm going to pray as we open up God's word. And while I'm praying, uh, you can turn to Genesis chapter 4. That's where we'll be this morning. Um, it'll be up on the screens as well if you do not have your Bible with you this morning. But please join me in prayer as you are turning there. Father God, thank you so much for the amazing time of worship. To be connected to you, to be reminded of how great you are. How that it does, it all revolves around you. And I pray that this morning, that, that everything that we say and everything that we do, it revolves around you. God, I thank you that your presence is here. I pray that every single one of us feels that. We feel your presence. We feel your love. We feel connected. We feel welcomed and wanted here. Because, God, this is just a a representation of your family, and and people are always welcome with your family. So, God, this morning, take a simple message and do something with it. Help us to understand how you would have us to live. And, God, this morning, I pray that we're challenged. God, you've been challenging me with this all week, and I pray that I can convey that same challenge to these people. And God, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are ready to be molded and feet that are ready to be moved into action. And God, anything that I say that's for me in my imagination, let it be forgotten before anyone leaves this space or logs off this video if you're online. But God, everything that's for you, let it stick forever in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're in Genesis 4. We're going to start in verse number 1. This is 4, verse 1. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother. Now that's something interesting you're going to see throughout this, is that Abel is referred often as Cain's brother. And it'll come up important in a minute. Again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep. We've got to remember that, Okay. We have to remember that Abel was the keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. 
In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their, and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The word angry there in, in the Hebrew means burning with anger. It was stirring up inside of him. He was becoming incredibly angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. It's a whole message and I'm not preaching today for another time. Sin crouches at the door and it's contrary to who you are. It's contrary to the way God wants you to live. It's contrary to the way that's gonna be most helpful to you. And we have to rule over our sin. But again, I'm not speaking on that today. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up again and killed his brother Abel, rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. If I could read, it would help. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. And here's the question. Am I my brother's keeper? It's a question for the day. And in fact, it's kind of been the question that's been asked throughout history. What is my responsibility when it comes to my brother? What is my role? What, what steps do I have to take? But we also have to look at the, the, the question that, that God asked to Cain. Where is your brother? And we talked last week that God doesn't ask questions for his own sake. He's not needing the answer. He knows the answer. He already knows what's happened. Here again, he's giving Cain the ability to repent. That's what this question is. Where is your brother? It's a chance for Cain to be able to say to God, this is what happened. This is why I'm sorry I repent. But Cain is Adam's son. When given that opportunity with God, with Adam given that opportunity, he said, the woman that you gave me, he blamed both the woman and God. Cain, not so much, but he says, Am I my brother's keeper? Now, this is Cain being a little bit of a smart aleck, okay? Because Abel was the keeper of the sheep. Am I my keeper's keeper? He's the one that does the keeping. I don't do the keeping. I do the fielding, okay? I do the thing in the field. He does the keeping. Am I my brother's keeper? Why do you ask? It was fairly flippant. And God was not a huge fan of that response. But this is the question that we've been asking and what my plan, my goal is today. I'd like to give you the outline of what we're going to do today. We're going to look at an Old Testament command of this and then how it changes just a little bit. Then we're going to look at the New Testament and we're going to see what Jesus has to say about it and how he builds on this idea. And then at the end, I'm going to warn you, I'm, I'm going to offend you. I love you. You love me. That's what we do, okay? But I wanted to warn you, I'm going to offend you. That's actually my plan. That's actually my goal. Because the command that Jesus has for us should offend us. Because it's ridiculous. It's insane. It doesn't make any sense. It's radical. But it's the command nonetheless. So the first verse we're going to look at is in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus. So if you turn there for me, Genesis, then Exodus, Leviticus, third book of the Bible, the law. It's the command to Moses as to how the people of Israel can be holy before their God. And in Leviticus 19, that's where we're going to be. 
looking at two verses, verses 17 and 18. Leviticus 19, verses 17 and 18 says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You find that phrase, I am the Lord, a lot in Leviticus. He gives a command and then ends it with, I am the Lord, which is his way of saying, you should do it. This is not a recommendation. This isn't a a suggestion. You're going to do this because I am the Lord. I've tried that in my house. It doesn't work so well um, because I'm not the Lord. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, creator of all things. And when he says, I am the Lord, we should begin to go, hmm, Maybe I should do what the creator of the universe says. But you shall not take vengeance. You shall not bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbors yourself. In Jewish culture, brother would have been, uh, another word for brother would have been kinsmen and from the same tribe. The nation of Israel was split into 12 tribes. A dollar for anyone after church, you can come up and tell me those 12 tribes. Um, split into 12 tribes. Someone, some of you were like, I got this. I got that dollar. I'm going to beat somebody up there. Um, don't run me over. I'm soft and gentle. Um, and they were split into 12 tribes, and brother would have been someone that was in the same tribe. Because there was feuds between the tribes, as all brothers and sisters have feuds. There was tension between the tribes, and so... Jesus, not Jesus, sorry, God here in Leviticus to Moses said, we need to go one step beyond that. We need to go one step beyond just your brother, just your kinsman. Now we need neighbors. But that was still just Jewish population. This command here was insider focus that you need to love your neighbor as yourself. They were a specific people at a specific time in a specific place, and their neighbors would have been Jewish. This is God's, God telling God's people to love God's people. And it's still the same command today. That part hasn't changed. That part hasn't changed at all, but we're going to look at the book of Mark. We're going to look at the book of Mark here. So if you want to turn there, Mark chapter 12. Because Jesus, when asked, tells us the same thing in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. Speaking to an audience that is both Jew and Gentile and probably Roman and and fairly diverse, He tells them essentially the same thing. Mark 12, starting in verse 28. And one of the scribes, now one of the scribes would have been one of the smartest men in all of Israel, would have been one of the most knowledgeable people when it comes to scripture. Um, A a pastor is one of the better ways to understand it. So one of the pastors of Israel came up and heard them disputing with one another, And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Which of the, there's 600 and some commandments. Which one should I really, really focus on? Jesus Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. He's starting with the Shema from Deuteronomy. And it says, and you shall love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second in this. Now, it's, second in, it's not second in importance. It's just second in order. It's not like this is one and this is two. 
It's, that's the first part, comma, here's the second part. Okay, second in order, not in importance. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. There's no other commandment greater than these. Now the scribe and many of those hearing it would have still had the same understanding. I am to love my Jewish neighbor as I love myself because we're a separate people. The Jews were a separate people. That was so much of the commands in the old covenant were to remain separate from everyone that surrounded them from the Canaanites and the Amalekites and all the other ites that you find in all of the Old Testament, the Jews were supposed to stay away from them. They were supposed to separate themselves. Their food was different. Their clothes were different. Their practices were different. Everything was different than the world, and they were supposed to not essentially not engage the world, just engage their own people. And so hearing this, the scribe and many of the other Jewish listeners, Jewish hearers, would have said, oh, of course, that makes total sense. And in fact, I do that pretty well. But that's not all that Jesus had to say in reference to this topic. Turn to the book of Matthew. If you're in Mark, you need to go backwards in your Bible, towards the front, to Matthew chapter 5. Sermon on the Mount. One of the most powerful messages that's ever been preached. And it's one that is really, really difficult for us, for them, for everyone, because Jesus commands us to do some things that are really, really difficult. Matthew 5, starting in verse 38. Jesus, speaking to the crowd, says, You have heard that it was said... Anytime that you see Jesus say, you have heard that it was said, he's quoting something from the Old Testament, from the Old Covenant. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, i got to be honest, that's generally how I would like to live my life. Okay? You hurt me, I hurt you. We're even. Okay? You take something from me, I take something from you. Even Stevens, we're good. I hurt you, you hurt me back. We're even, we're great. But that's not how Jesus says it. But I say to you, I love Jesus. You've heard it, but I say. And this is where things really begin to change. The understanding of what it means to be my brother's keeper keeps growing. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, in all my years of Christianity, I have heard some amazing dancing around interpretations of what this could mean. There's all sorts of different theories and theologies of what it means for someone to slap you on the cheek. It means if someone comes up, takes the palm of their hand, and slaps it, strikes you on the cheek, that's what it means. The words are not difficult to, to, to interpret in the Greek. We just don't like what it says. We don't like the implications. All of my guys in here are like, someone hits me on one side of my face, I'm supposed to turn the other cheek. Well, that other cheek is followed by the hand that is coming for the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you hit me here, I'm going to come back and it's going to, you know. She says, no. If they hit you here, give them this one. 
But the hearers, the listeners, would have been like, okay, but that's my Jewish brothers, okay? My Jewish brothers, I've, I've never been slapped by any of my Jewish brothers, so I don't think this is a big deal. This isn't like a daily occurrence where I'm walking down the road and one of my Jewish brothers slaps me on my left cheek and I have to turn around and be like, you want this one too? That doesn't happen very often, so I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay. He continues, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, this, is, this actually has occurred in different settings in, in Jewish tradition, in different, different times in Jewish culture. Uh, the, the Jewish people could sue each other, and they'd go before the, the priest, and they would, they would um, decide who was right and who was wrong, and, and you had to pay uh, penance, and you had to do different things to make up for what happened. And you can see these in the Old Testament, in the, in the book of Leviticus. If, if something happened and you caused the death of an ox, you had to do X, Y, and Z to make up for the death of the ox of the person who owned the ox. And that's what this is talking about. And it's saying that if you did those, what I want you to do is do that and more. I want you to do that and more. I want you to do the minimum that I've commanded you to do, but actually what I want you to do is do the commandment plus one. But again, the hearer would have said, okay, okay, this is still Jewish context. I'm not sued by Romans. I'm not sued by Samaritans. I'm only sued by Jewish people. So, okay, we're just talking about Jewish people. That's fine. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Now the Jewish hearer begins to go, wait just a minute. Because the context of this is in Roman culture. A Roman soldier could go up to anyone in the Roman world and command them to carry their armor and their supplies for one mile. Could do it to anyone. And so this is the first time here that Jesus is giving a command that it extends beyond the Jewish world. That extends beyond the church world. Extends beyond the church family. Extends beyond the people of God. That if someone who does not believe asks you to go one mile with them, Jesus says, that's not enough. I want you to do it too. The bare minimum is not enough. You need to do above and beyond. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Again, now the Jewish man takes a deep breath. Okay, good. Now we're talking about the Jewish people again. We got away from the world and now we're back to Jewish culture. If, some, if, if a Jewish brother is begging from me or needs to borrow from me, great, no problem, easy peasy, no, I'm good. We're back to Jewish culture Back to my understanding, I can breathe a little easier. And then Jesus says, you have heard that it was said. Oh, here we go again. You're taking what I thought I knew and you're challenging it. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Sounds right. Okay, sounds fair. I'm I'm, I'm to love my neighbor, love those who are close to me, but those who are my enemy, it's okay for me to hate. It's okay for me to hate people who don't think, act, or believe like I do. It's fine. They're my enemy. And Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Timeout. If you're a basketball fan, we need a full timeout. Okay, not 30 seconds. We're taking a full timeout here. Full stop. What did you just say? No, 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 no. Jesus, here's the deal. We are God's people. 
They are not. I'm totally fine with you telling me that I have to love my brother even when he's difficult. I get that. We're family. But them? No. No, no, no. No. But why? Why do I want you to do that? Why does Jesus want us to do that? So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. That's a sticky point. That's one, again, that's hard to dance around that interpretation. It's hard to dance around and do uh, biblical jujitsu and try and figure out how I can get out of this. How I can get out of loving my enemy and praying for those who persecute me. Well, it's got to mean, no, it doesn't mean anything else. And at the end, I'm going to put it in our context. But you do that so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, who loves you in spite of yourself. Who loves me in spite of all the things I've done throughout my entire life. All the times that I have not acted or believed or thought or did the way that he would have me to do. And yet he still loves me. He still comes to me. He still accepts me. We are to do the same to the world. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the, the tax collectors do the same? Now the Jewish man is angry. Okay? We've gone from being like, I don't know, like you're getting kind of out there. You're kind of, you know, like you're kind of fringe on our understanding and our theology. But now you've crossed a line. Okay? The tax collectors are the worst of the worst. Everyone hated the tax collector. There was no one. No one liked the tax collector except maybe the tax collector's family and friends who he made rich as well. But everyone else hated the tax collector. No, 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 no. You can't compare me to that person. Not okay. And then he goes, and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. So what Jesus is doing here is he's saying if you only love those who are like you, if you only love those who love you, if you only love your brother, you're not different in your love than anyone else. And here's where it hurts. If that's the love that I have, I do not have the love of the Father. The love of the Father extends beyond the family. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. I'm not going to read the whole story. I'm just going to share it with you. And this is where the message takes a little turn. And if I offend you, it'll be okay. One of my favorite questions I've ever been asked. And I should have prepped him, but that's okay. I asked our elders once I, once I knew I, was, uh, I had accepted this new job. I still was on the schedule to speak. And I said, would you still like me to speak? I totally understand that in my last 30 days, it's, it's totally appropriate for me not to speak. I get that. The elders came back with one simple question. And I loved it. It was the best question they could have asked. Would you give this message if it wasn't your last month? You should applaud your elders. That's a solid question. I said, absolutely. 
So please don't for a moment think that I would not have given this message a year ago or two years ago or five years ago, my very first message. This is truth. In Luke 10, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And we, many of us have heard the story of the Good Samaritan. I've preached on the story of the Good Samaritan. You've probably heard multiple messages if you've been in church and grown up in church that you understand the story of the Good Samaritan. But what we miss is the tension. What we miss is the tension when Jesus starts using the Samaritan as the good guy. So my goal here is to try and create that tension just a little bit. I can't do it justice. But the truth of the matter is, in today's context, in our world, this is essentially Jesus going into a KKK meeting and sharing this story. If you, as a member of the KKK, are found beaten on the side of the road, bloody and helpless, and the Grand Wizard of the KKK comes by and looks at you and passes on, and another member of the KKK comes by and looks at you and passes by, but a young black man passing by gets off his donkey and picks you up and puts you on his donkey and takes you to an inn where he introduces you to another young black man and says, I want you to take care of him. I want you to take, you, the young black man, I want you to take care of this member of the KKK and whatever cost it is, I'll come back and pay it. And then he asks us, who was the neighbor? And all the members of the KKK would have had to say the young black man. That's what he's saying. Because the racism between the Jew and the Samaritan makes the KKK look like some Boy Scouts. Okay? That's the best cultural context I can give you. And it's not even close. Because what Jesus is saying is that it's not the love of the Father to just love your brother. The question is no longer, am I my brother's keeper? That has been definitively answered yes. The question is no longer, am I my neighbor's keeper? That has been definitively answered, yes. The question is, what is my role in how I love the world? That's the question on the table. And unfortunately, it's already been answered. We just don't like the answer. Recently did a paper on the Anabaptist revolution. Our found, if you're... If you don't know, this church was founded on Mennonite roots and Mennonite beliefs, Mennonite Anabaptists, same thing. This is an etching of a man named Dirk Willems. Dirk Willems was not a leader of the Anabaptist movement. He was just someone who agreed with them. The Anabaptists truly believed that when Jesus said, love your enemies, that he meant it. It was not a suggestion. It was a lifestyle. It was a drastic and radical change of lifestyle that had certain consequences. The Anabaptist Reformation came after the Reformation of Martin Luther. When Martin Luther put the 95 Thesis on the door in Wittenberg, Germany, the Catholic Church persecuted the Reformers. Well, the Anabaptists thought that the Reformation hadn't quite gone far enough, and so they took it another step of peace and love for all mankind. Everyone, believer, unbeliever, sinner and saint alike. And the Anabaptists 
were persecuted by both now the reformers and the Catholic Church. Everyone hated the Mennonites. And in this etching, Dirk Willems had been arrested and was being held in a castle which had been converted to a prison. And he tied, true story, he tied bedsheets together and escaped through the window. And it was bitter cold and it was winter and he had been starved of rations and was, had lost lots of weight. And so he was able to make it across the moat that surrounded the castle was frozen over. He was able to make it over the moat because he was very, very light. The guard behind him in full armor was not so lucky. And he falls through the ice. Me? I'm now celebrating. I'm free. I'm home free. It's not what Dirk Willems did. He heard the screams of the dying man whose job was to hold him in prison until he was put to death. He turned around, risked his life again on the ice to crawl out and to help his captor out of the ice. Only to be rearrested and burned at the stake the very next day. Our love doesn't always mean it's going to work out well. But here's where I'm going to offend you. Who's the person in your eyes? Who's the enemy in your eyes? Is it a member of Planned Parenthood? Yeah, we got real quiet, didn't it? Mm -hmm. A doctor at Planned Parenthood falls through the ice. Am I his keeper? Member of far left or far right is whichever side you're on, falls through the ice. Am I their keeper? Because every single one of us has fallen through the ice, and Jesus could have absolutely looked away and said, You are rotten. Your sin stinks in my presence. Not when he did. He turns around and he rescues us. And how do we know? Because in John 13, John 13, before Jesus gives the great commandment, the new commandment, to love one another as I have loved you, he washes the feet of his disciples, all 12. Judas, who is about to betray him, who is about to lead to his arrest and his torture and his killing, sat with all of the other followers and had his feet washed by the physical manifestation of God. Showing us for the rest of time, we don't just wash the feet of our brothers, we wash the feet of our enemies as well. That's the gospel. That's biblical love. That we don't have enemies anymore. We don't get that privilege. When I have raised my hand and said, I want your love, the command is then you need to give everyone that love. But there, and Jesus says, but yeah, you were. But they did, yeah, but you did. And he's speaking to me, not to you. I don't know your junk, I know mine. But God, I can't love them. They were, I shouldn't love you because you did. There is no dancing around this. We don't get to have enemies for I have died and it is Christ who lives in me. 
What I want is dead. My vengeance, my eye for an eye, my tooth for a tooth, my you're not good enough, my I don't have time for you, I can't love you because what you do is vile to me is gone. It is Christ who lives in me. And it is Christ who died for that person that you hate. It is Christ who has died for the person that I think that what they do is the most vile and disgusting thing that could ever be done. It is my job to turn myself around, walk back on that ice and rescue them regardless of the consequence. In the last year, I filled the role of senior pastor and one thing I've asked was that we do a day of prayer and fasting and it was awesome and you did it. I'm gonna ask one other thing. We are 29 days from an election. I'm guilty of this. My challenge to myself and my ask of you is that for the next 29 days, everything that we post is filled with love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and not the rhetoric that we're being told to put out there. I've done it. I've repented of it. And my ask is that HCC, that everyone, everything that we put out is this kind of love. No matter who you are, no matter what you do, no matter what you've done, no matter what sin is yours, no matter how I vote or how you vote or what you believe or what I believe, my job is not to ask the question, am I their keeper? Yes. Yes. Unequivocally, not my opinion. My opinion, I would love for this not to be the case. Can I say that? Is that okay for to say? I would love if this was not the command. I am real good at not liking people. I have a master's degree in hate, okay? It comes natural. We had baptisms last week. It's been buried. And the new life, the new creation that comes out of the water is filled with love for all people. That's the love of the Father. That's the love that we love to have. But that's the love that I love to keep to myself because I don't think they're quite worthy of it. God, I repent before you right now for not having that kind of love more often. For allowing hate to fill my heart. For seeing the actions of people and finding them so vile and not finding any grace for them. Not finding any forgiveness for them. That I can just whitewash a whole group of people because their actions don't match what you would have them do. But God, my actions so often don't match what you would have me do. Help us to love everyone. Let us be like Dirk Willems to go back and rescue people. Those people who are our enemies and, and do things that we just can't understand. We are not the judge, the jury, and the executioner. We're the agents of your love. 
We're the light to shine them to you. God, help us to have grace. Help us to love each other in this room well. Don't let it stop there, God. Help us to love everyone, because you do. God, again, anything that I said today that's from me and my imagination, let it be forgotten. God, if it's your word and if it's your truth, let it stick and let it change us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.